We are in a, a series, as you know, if you've been part of our church for any length of time, we do, we do different series where we'll spend some weeks talking about a certain topic. And uh, we have just started a couple weeks, we've been in this series about what is the church. And we're, we're going through the book of Ephesians because the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the church of Ephesus kind of explains and encourage, encourages those churches there in Ephesus about what does it mean to be part of the body of Christ? What does it truly mean to be part of the church? And I know many of us, we've got all these different misconceptions about what the church is. And I think one of the the biggest misconceptions of the church is that the church is actually a building where you go to. And we all do it, don't we? We say, we're going to church. Like this building is the church. But what we learned last week, we all understand that the church is not a place. It's not a building, it's the people of God. And where the people of God are gathered, that's where the church is. And we define the church as those that have been called out of the world uh, into Jesus' wonderful light, who have, who have bowed their knee before him and called him Lord and Savior, have become born again, and God places his spirit within them. That's the body of Christ. Now, there's local bodies of believers that meet together like Living Word, and that's fine to be part of a local body of believers. But we know that the church is not a, 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 a building. And so I, I think we... Where we get this misconception from is, I think, from the Old Testament. Let me explain to you why I believe we, we sometimes get this misconception that this, the church is actually a, a, a building. In the Old Testament, we see the way God chose to dwell with his people. And the way God chose to dwell with his people, as we read in the Old Testament, is God told Moses to build this tabernacle or this tent that would be mobile so that they could move as they moved through the desert during their 40 years of, of their desert experience. And this tabernacle or this temple would house the Ark of the Covenant, which was the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses on how Israel w- was to live their lives. And the tabernacle would be this precursor to the permanent temple, which would eventually be established in Jerusalem. Now, this place is where the priest, we understand, would make their sacrifices unto the Lord. They'd minister before the Lord. They would minister on behalf of the people and the sins of the people, that they would offer sacrifices for forgiveness. God's presence in that tabernacle or temple would literally be there. It would be seen, the Bible tells us, through a cloud that would literally settle on that tabernacle or temple. Let me read it for you in Exodus 40. 34 through 38. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, or the temple, or the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter into the tent of meetings because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up, Uh, Up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would move. They would set out. They would know, okay, God's presence is moving. We've got to break down the tabernacle and we're going to move. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out to the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journey. So they visibly... The camp of all the Israelites was set up around this tabernacle. And during the day, they could see the cloud. God's presence was there. 
And then at night, they could see fire within the cloud so they could know that God's presence was there always, literally among them. It enveloped this tabernacle. And so the fire and the cloud symbolized God's presence among his people so that he might sanctify them through his glory. His presence led Israel through the desert, cloud by day, fire by night. Pretty cool stuff, isn't it? That's like, wow, that, that's pretty neat. So God, what he did was, in the Old Testament, chose to dwell with his people through the temple, through this tabernacle. And God chose to have his Holy Spirit empower certain individuals at certain times. However, this wasn't for everyone. It was just for a select few. So people would know God's glory is here because it is in the temple area. This is where God chose to dwell. This is where the Holy of Holies is. This is where the priests would offer the sacrifices for the sins of the people. It was a very special special place and it was very visual and very vivid for all the people to see this is where God dwells and not everyone could enter into the presence of the Lord only the high priest could once a year in the holy of holies if anyone entered the presence of the Lord they would die in his presence and here's the reason why you're like man God's pretty hard about that well he is because he's a holy God and nothing unholy can enter his presence so God established all these uh, different standards so that the people could know that God was with them but also know that he is a holy God. And the only way they could ever approach him were through the blood of goats and bulls, through a sacrifice that had to be offered for the forgiveness of their sins. And the priests were the ones that ministered to this. Now, here's what I want you to see. You say, well, what's that got to do with the church? Well, I think we get, once again, we get confused because we think, well, God only dwells in a building like he did in the Old Testament. Well, that's the way God chose to dwell. But here's what I want you to see. Something very exciting happened 1,200 years later. So let's fast forward 1,200 years later to the, to the formation of the New Testament church. And what happens here is Jesus told these early believers before the day of Pentecost, when, the, when we understand that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church, Jesus told his disciples that when he would leave earth, he told them to wait in Jerusalem until they were empowered with the Holy Spirit. So let me, let me read for you. You've got those in your notes. You can look up at the screen or in your Bibles. Let me read to you what Jesus says about the presence of the Lord now. We understand that the presence of the Lord dwelt in the tabernacle through this cloud and fire. But now we're going to see how God's going to choose to dwell among his people. And this is pretty cool also. So let's look at this. Luke 24, 49. Jesus says, And behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father. And I want you to underline this word in your notes. Upon you. It's a very, very important word. He says, The Holy Spirit... The presence of the Lord is not going to just dwell in a building, but it's actually going to dwell in you. It's going to become part of you. Everybody say cool. Cool. That, I mean, that's unbelievable. He said, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's look at Acts 1, 4, and 5. It says, and while staying there, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. The word baptized means to completely, be completely submersed in. This Holy Spirit is going to completely 
submerse you, give you power for living. And then, and then in Acts uh, 1.8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, there's that word again, underline that, upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly, here's what happened. So they're waiting, they're praying for this event, the promise of the Spirit to come to them. They're waiting for this event. So they're all in this room, 120 people. They're all praying. And it says, and when the day of Pentecost, which is ba- basically a harvest festival that followed the Passover for, uh, for the Israelites, it was 50 days after Passover. So they would all be in Jerusalem anyways, celebrating this festival. So all these people, there's people from all over that are all gathered, thousands upon thousands of people gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the day of Pentecost. But this is the day that God chose to pour out his spirit and fill all those early believers that were there gathered in this prayer meeting. So here's what happens. This is pretty cool. Now God, from this dwelling place in this temple, a physical temple, now says, I'm going to empower my people individually with the presence of my Holy Spirit that will come upon each individual. So here's what happens. When the day of Pentecost arrives, this festival, the people were gathered there in one place in Jerusalem at the temple, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, where they were praying, and divided tongues as of fire. Woo! There's the word fire again. Isn't that interesting? If you go through the Old Testament, New Testament, we see that our God is an all-consuming fire because it envelops everything, doesn't it? So the same way God chose to dwell amongst his people, here once again he fills his people with this fire of his what? Presence. Man, I would have loved to have been there. That must have been so, I don't know why I keep saying the word cool, but it is cool. So here we go. We see fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. It came upon them, right? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the, as the Spirit gave them utterance. What happened here? Here's what's so incredible. God empowered these disciples with his very presence, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now God chose not only to dwell among us, but to actually dwell in us. This is the church. This is how the church was started. So who is the church? We are the church now. Us individually are now empowered with the Holy Spirit. God's presence dwells within this temple. The the Bible says that, that we are now the temple of God where his Holy Spirit dwells, not some building or tabernacle. God says, no, I'm going to choose to dwell within each individual. That's what makes the church so different from any other organization. We are a church and a body that's filled with God's Holy Spirit, a changed life that was once full of sin, which now wants to live for God, which has changed my life, which has changed this world. It's more than just sitting in a pew, boring. I mean, when I was little, we used to go to church. And, 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 you know, once again, this church that I went to as I grew up did not preach the gospel. They didn't preach a life-changing thing. They would just read from the Bible, tell you when to stand, tell you when to sit, tell you when to do this. And it was just, there was no power to it. Why? There was no Holy Spirit. 
It's the Holy Spirit that empowers the church and makes it exciting that changes your life. So when I heard this gospel message at 15 years old, I'm like, whoa, give me a V8. Wow. This is what it's, how come no one told me about this? I'm glad no one's sitting in the front row because I'm spitting like crazy. But anyways, I'm like, how come no one told me about this? I'm like, wow, this is exciting because what happened is when I became a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, God filled me with his Holy Spirit and something changed in my life. There was a new hunger that I had that I never had before. I actually wanted, as a 15-year-old, to go to Sunday school. And, and what's really cool, I don't want to embarrass my son, but here's what's cool. My oldest son is just reading his Bible. He's getting into it a little more. Praise God. He's not perfect, but he's getting into it a little more. And uh, what was really cool is that I, I see a hunger in him now a little bit more that, that God's working and developing in his heart. And uh, they had a training thing this weekend for the Billy Graham thing for teenagers, and no, none of Colby's friends were going. And I thought, well, he's not going to go to another church, and he's not going to go by himself. And I said, Colby, do you still want to go to this training thing for the Billy Graham crusade, the, the rock, rock the Lakes? It's two days. It's you know Friday night and then all day Saturday. He goes, yeah, I still want to go. So I'm like... I'm not going to push you because I'm the pastor. You got to go because I'm the pastor. Okay? You're going. No, he wanted to go, and he went and met up with an old friend that's a Christian. Here's, here's the cool, here's the, here's the, I got real sentimental. Not like I never do or I never cry or anything. But anyways, I got real sentimental. He, he, the, the place the train was was the very church that I first accepted Christ. And I was 15. And Colby's 15. I was like, God, just grab his heart. I was so glad that he had a hunger to want to go. What 15-year-old what boy, let's think for a moment, let's just be logical, would want to go to a two-day seminar on how to witness unless the Holy Spirit was not in their life, unless there wasn't a hunger for God. So I'm like, God, keep grabbing his heart and help me not to be hard on him. Help, help me not to force feed him. Help me to just love on him and and and. You know, for some of you parents, you're like, well, you know, I'm, you know you're struggling with your kids or, and you're like, Lord, you know, you want to force them. We, how many of you know you cannot force them into a relationship with Jesus Christ? You got to pray for them. And it's got to come from, I remember my mom, she tried to, before I was saved, Barton, come to the altar. And said, come on. I'm like, mom, I'm not ready. Come on. This is for you. Did you hear that message, Barton? That was for you. I'm like, well, maybe it was for you. Maybe it wasn't for me. You ever thought about that for a change? You know, and I, listen. Bless my parents because their lives were changed and they wanted me to know the same Jesus. That, and I, I give them props for that. I mean, thank you, mom and dad. I know you love me. But eventually, I came to that saving knowledge for myself where I had that hunger. It wasn't forced upon me. It wasn't manipulated upon me. It was they put me in the atmosphere that allowed me to receive Christ as my Savior. And when that happens, it's a pretty cool thing, right? And so keep praying. Don't give up on your children or your family. You keep praying and allow God to, to reach them. And, when, and he'll do it in his timing. And God is faithful. Amen. So you just keep praying and stand in the gap. And you keep loving on them. I, I thank God my parents kept loving on me and, and didn't force things down my throat and didn't become legalistic with me or anything. They just kept loving on me and praying for me. And God did the work. And God's Holy Spirit was working on me. Amen. God is good. He's faithful. So th that's the difference. The difference is there's a new hunger because the Holy Spirit has now enveloped your life. And so this church, here's what's happening. This church uh, is started by this 
huge event of being filled with the Holy Spirit within each person. And it was through this outpouring that Christ commissioned his church. He said, this is what happens. You're going to be filled with my Holy Spirit. Then you're going to go out into the world and share my message. So the temple of God, what it literally did was it moved from a building or a physical place to our bodies that now become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. It's a powerful thing. So God now desires to propel his people into the world to share his message. So what happened in Acts chapter 2 is really incredible for this reason. We see the church as a powerful force in the world that literally changes lives. We see the gospel message empowered by the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 2 is a model of the Spirit-empowered gospel that's not in a building, but it's out there. It's taking the message that we receive here and it's taking it out to the world. So that's why Acts 1.8 is so powerful because Jesus, when you've been empowered with this gift of the Holy Spirit, you are now going to be my witnesses in the four walls of your church and you're going to keep it right there. No, he said, listen, it's going to start here in Jerusalem. It's going to go to Judea. It's going to go to Samaria. It's going to go to the uttermost parts of the world. This gospel message cannot be contained. When you've got a bunch of people filled with my spirit, you can't hold it back. You can't contain it. You've got to share it. And that's what began to happen. And so what the church began to do is they went from outside that temple area and it began to spread like wildfire around them. And basically, their world around them was turned upside right for Jesus Christ. Not upside down. It was turned the right way. Upside right. I don't even know if that's a word, but I'll use it. I'll define it, and I'll put it in my own dictionary. But it, it, it changed the world around them because what began to happen is people were empowered with the love of Jesus Christ to reach whoever would hear that message. The message of Jesus Christ is not selective. It's not for a few people. It's not for people we just, we like. It's for people that we dislike. It's for people that we might count as enemies. And God calls us to reach all people. All people. You know, here's, here's the problem that the world has with the church. They know what we're against. But a lot of times they don't know what we're for. And as long as I'm the pastor of this church, I want people to know what we're for. And we're for people. And we're for people knowing about Jesus Christ. Now, are we going to have to make a stand on certain issues? Of course. Are we going to have to speak the truth in love? Of course. But so many times we speak against things and what we're against and what we're against. And the world just thinks, okay, there's all these rules and lists and everything else. And they just think we hate them. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave us his son. Amen? I just want to share this with you because EJ shared what happened is the men went out yesterday and, and canvassed the area to invite people to, to this uh, dinner the- free dinner theater that we're having on May 12th. And um, Jim Bacardo, the Lord just laid on Jim Bacardo's to go to the adult store on 104 and invite them. I love it. 
I love it. And we pray. This isn't something that you just go and do, okay? This is something you better be prayed up and you better be listening to the Lord. And we prayed. As a men's group, we prayed in the morning. And we said, God, just use this outreach to love on people because we love all people. We love the people that work in that shop. You love those people that work in that shop. And so what happened is EJ and, and uh, Jim went in there and there was nobody in there and, and they called out. And finally, there was a girl that came. And uh, Jim says, hey, we just want to, we're, we're from Living Word and we want to invite you to a free dinner theater that we're having. And the girl's like, do you know where you're at? <laughs> um, Jim goes, yeah. The girl began to cry. She goes, you don't know the hate mail that we've gotten from churches. See, they know what we stand against. But do they know we love them? Jesus died for sinners, which you and I are all part of, right? God's grace. I am so proud of EJ and Jim for being able to do that and maybe even go in there to think, is that, is that Jim's truck that's pulled in there? Did anybody? <laughs> I said, make sure you guys, you know, you're smart when you do this. We went with two. They went under my authority. We prayed about it. This wasn't something they just did happen. You, do you know what I'm saying? This is something you do because the Spirit's led you to do this, and we want to show them that we love them. Amen. That's what the church is for. It's not in these four walls. We can tell everybody what we're against, but it's going out there in our community and say, you know what? We love you, and Christ loves you. And he gave his life for you. Amen. So let's pray that all these flyers that have gone out, these invites, would touch the hearts of people that they would know that there's a God, a Savior that loves them. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise for that. God is good. Amen. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So what happens here in Acts 2? Well, three things happen in Acts 2 that, that are central to change lives. And, and a, this the, a pastor named Steve Walker gave some great insight here to what exactly happened in Acts chapter 2. And what we see here is we see three things, basically. We see revelation, what God did. We see the response, what we do. And we see the result, what God gives. So let, let me just break these down for you, because this is central to understanding who is part of the church and why you are such a, uh, an important element to the body of Christ as individuals. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, now filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, begins to speak to those thousands of people that are gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. So he begins to speak to them. Now remember, Peter is the one that just denied Jesus just some weeks before, right? He just denied him, not, not days before, just denied him. Now tur this wimp turns warrior for God because he's now filled with the Holy Spirit of the Lord. So now he's like, ah, I'm just going to speak. I'm filled with God's Holy Spirit. I've got a word to share. I've got a message to share with these people on what God has done here. So they understand that this is all a promise that the Lord gave. So here it is. Peter speaks to these. And here's the revelation. This is what God did in that time. Peter begins to reveal to the crowd God's plan and how God fulfilled his promises of the long-awaited Messiah Jesus Christ. Let me read you a couple passages in Acts. 
Acts 2.22, Peter speaking, says this to all these islands because they're like, what is going on? People are speaking in tongues. They're, the tongues were actually people's native language of all the different people that were from the different countries. And they're like, how are, how are these people knowing our language? It, it, was, it, was, it was a scene, man. It was, it was a spectacular event. So people are all captivated by what's going on. And then Peter speaks to the crowd, and this is what he says. He says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, who was a man accredited by God to whom... To, to, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, you saw this for your very self, which God did among you through him as yourselves. know this man was handed over to you by God, set purposes and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the de- dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So Peter, now addressing the crowd, he said, this is a witness from God, a promise of God fulfilling Old Testament scripture. He goes on to say in verse 32 in the same chapter, let me read it for you. It says, now God raised Jesus to life and we're all witnesses of this fact. They actually saw the risen Savior, exalted to the right hand of God and received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and hear For David did not ascend to heaven and yet said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Savior. So this is real exciting. Peter reveals the revelation through scripture that this is God's plan. That this is God's will, that this is all fulfillment of Scripture. What you're seeing before your very eyes is a fulfillment of Scripture. This is God's revelation to you. And here's the response. It's just not knowing this, but there has to be a response. What do we do in response of having this knowledge? Well, in response to this revelation, what happened to those that were listening? This is really cool. Verse 37 and 38 says this. After the people heard what, what Peter said, it said, when the people heard this, they were literally cut to the heart. Something burned within them. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Okay, we get it. We hear what you're saying. What should we do now with this message that you've brought to us? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will also receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. Here's what's interesting about what happened. When the crowd heard the word of God, they were cut to the heart. So what does that mean? They were literally convicted. They were convicted of their sin. And what did Peter tell them? Did he say, now go and live a good life? Go and try and be a better person? No, what Peter told them was, he told them to repent from their way of thinking. Yes, yes, you stood in agreement as, as Christ was cru- crucified. You were ignorant to these facts, but now you know the scriptures have come alive to you. What you're seeing right before you is a promise of God that he's promised for, for hundreds of years in his scriptures, thousands of years. And I love this definition. Pastor Mark Driscoll in Seattle gives this great definition of repentance. He says this, repentance is this. It's spirit-empowered acknowledgement of sin that results in a change of mind about who and what God is in my life, what is important, what is good, and what is bad. And repentance is followed by a change in my behavior 
which is a direct result of a switch in my internal values, what I see important now. And as I repent before the Lord, and I understand what God has done for me, my old life is not going to match up with what Christ is now in my heart. My values begin to change. My way of thinking begins to change. That's a true repentant heart. And so those that heard the word of God were convicted. They put their faith in Christ and followed that by identifying with Christ through baptism. And baptism, basically, water baptism is an outward expression of what Christ has done in my heart. And the result is this. This is what God gives. When we repent, we acknowledge what we've done against the Lord. We acknowledge our wrong thinking, that we had it wrong. God is right. I am wrong. This is all fulfillment of Scripture, that Jesus is the only way to God, that He is the Savior. When I come into right thinking with that, when my heart burns within me because I'm convicted through the truth of the Holy Spirit that I need to submit to this truth, the result of this is what God gives us. And here's the important part. God does not leave us the way we are. He redeems us from the sin and then calls us to a new life. That's the exciting thing. He just doesn't leave you there and kicks more sand in your eyes and said, okay, you're a filthy sinner. Now that you know it, stay that way. No, what he does, he picks us up, right? By his grace, and he gives us a new life. The day of Pentecost was an incredible event that God, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, calls out sinners to heed the word of God, to find forgiveness. And then what he does is he gives us a new spirit, a new life, and and it puts the righteousness of Christ into us. This is the church. Let's, Let's make sure we understand and we define it correctly. The church is this. It's a bunch of redeemed sinners from all different backgrounds, different situations, different economic statuses, yet all have to come through the cross, which makes us one in Christ, and that is pretty neat. So we all come from the same background. We all come uh, uh, with the same position of being sinners, and Christ is the one that saves us. So the church is a body of people that have been called out of that lifestyle, out of that sin, and now come together to form this powerful body of people that can change the world for Jesus Christ. Amen? You're part of something great and powerful. This, this organization called the church is the most powerful organization in the whole world because it literally changes people's hearts and changes their destiny and changes their eternity. So here's what Paul does. What Paul does for us in Ephesians chapter 2 is he explains to his listeners, this is what the church looks like. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be part of the church. We understand that the church was started the day of Pentecost when God outpoured his spirit and they began to witness to those around them and the church was launched into the world. But, but, but what Paul does, he, he, he just defines it so well on what it truly means to be part of this church. So let me read to you Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And this is what Paul says as he's writing to the church in Ephesus, which the church in Ephesus is in a very pagan society. They had to come against very horrible, horrible, sinful living around. That's no different than what we're faced with here today in the, in, the, in the age that we live in, in the society that we live in. But he tells them, listen, you're different. You've come out of those things. And listen to what he says. He says, you were dead in the trespasses of your sin, which you once walked. You once walked in your sinful lifestyle. There's no lie there. We all know that. Following the course of this world, you followed the patterns of this world and what your desires were and you got lost in them and you did a lot of bad things. 
He said, you followed the prince of the power of the air, which is the devil. You followed him. You followed his leading and the temptations that went with it. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Paul's saying, we all did it. We all lived for our own desires, for our own passions. Carrying, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, which you, which, and were by nature children of wrath. You were all object of God's judgment because of your sin. No lie. Duh. Okay, we get it, Paul. Like the rest of mankind, we're all in the same boat. No one's better than one, anyone else. But this is what he says about us now that are in the church, that are part of the body of Christ. He says, but God. Everybody say, but God. God changes everything. He says, you were once this way. You were living in your sin. You were objects of wrath of God's judgment. You were headed to hell in a handbasket. Everybody gets that. But he says, but God. I love those two words, but God. Somebody says, you know, pastor, I'm really, my life stinks. And I just say, but God. You know, pastor, I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm real nervous about this. I just like to say, but God. You know, Pastor, I'm real down. I just don't feel joy in my heart, but God. You know, Pastor, I'm praying for my children. They just need to know Jesus. I just say, but God, but God, but God, but God. Look at your neighbor and say, but God. Amen? Okay. So this is what he says. He says, listen, we are all headed to hell. We're all headed down that road, every single one of us. But he said, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love. Went to a pornographic shop and gave a flyer to somebody to tell them that we love them. But God, his great love for us, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated, seated us with him in heavenly places in Jesus Christ so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the results of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship now. God don't create junk. We are his workmanship to be used for his purposes, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. So this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. Let me just give you a couple things here just to highlight what Paul said. Here's the 101 of becoming a Christian. Real simple. I know some of this is elementary for many of you, but just listen. Notice what Paul emphasizes. He said, first of all, we were dead in our sins. The Greek theological meaning behind dead is dead. Lifeless. Okay. You're just dead. Okay, before we came to Christ, we were spiritually dead. We we're separated from the life of God. We broke God's commands. We offended God through our thoughts, through our words, through our actions. Now, if you don't think we're sinners by nature, just get two little kids in the same room and fighting over the toys, right? 
You, you see that sinful nature, those of you that have parents and the kids are playing, mine, that's mine, I want it. You could have a million toys and they've got this one toy and another child plays with that one toy and that's the toy they want to play with even though they have a thousand other toys to play with. That's our sinful nature. We're all born with it. Welcome to the club, okay? Secondly, Paul emphasized that we're object of God's wrath in verse 3. God being just and good had to judge our disobedience. Without Christ, we are doomed. Yet I want you to understand the great lengths God went to in order to reach us. His grace is amazing. Thirdly, he says, but we are made alive in Christ. Verse 5, but God, but God in his love for us reached out to us in our hopeless condition by sending us his son. God, through his grace, allowed his son to pay the penalty of our sin. We are made alive in Christ because of what he's done for us. And because he conquered sin and death, we also can do it through him. And we're saved through God's grace by faith in verse 8. All this is a gift that God gives us. Grace is God's unmerited favor. His grace cannot be earned or deserved. It's completely dependent on God's favor. Somebody say amen. Because many times we were brought up in different churches that we had to do, 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 do to try to merit or gain God's favor. There's nothing you can do to ever gain not enough Bible reading, not enough church attendance, not enough doing good works, not enough crossing little old ladies across the street you could ever do to match God's holiness or his favor upon you cannot be done through works. It can only be done through God's grace. So you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It's by faith. You just receive it as a gift and you say, thank you, Lord, for your mercy upon me. I can't do it in my own strength. Our faith in Christ is the only way our salvation is secured. Christ in Christ alone is the only way we can be rescued from God's wrath. And then lastly, he says this, that we were created in Christ Jesus to actually do good works. The good works are a direct result of an inward change that Christ has done in our heart. So listen, being part of the church has nothing to do with the denomination, even though it's okay to be part of this local body of believers or a specific fellowship. That's okay, but that's not the church. Being part of the body of Christ is so much more than just coming to a building or saying some magical prayer you may have prayed some years ago when you were a little kid or whatever. Being part of the church is so much more. And what I want to do as I finish, as I, as I finish the message today, I've got a couple things here in your notes that I want you to look at. And I want to, I want to use it as kind of a, a checklist, because you may say, well, well, Pastor, you know, this is a simple message. Come on, I, we know all this stuff, Pastor. Come on, we know this. But I just want to do a checklist here as we finish out. And I want you to look at your notes, and I just want you to maybe check the thing. And this isn't a checklist, say, oh, goody, I'm all set, Lord. I want it to be a checklist to ask yourself a question, am I doing these things? Because being a Christian, following the Lord, is so much more than just coming and sitting in a church building for an hour and a half on a Sunday. Everybody say, amen. amen. Okay, it's more than just saying, I got that off my checklist, Lord. Went to church. I might, Lord, even go to Sunday school. That should be huge points in heaven. Going to Sunday school, huge. And then if I go to prayer meeting on Tuesday, well, I'm in now. Going to that prayer meeting on Tuesday, that's got to be mega points. Listen, so much more than just coming to a service. And I want to use this 
last part of your notes here, last part of my message. Just to do a little checklist to see what you're doing here, to see if your life is in order. Here's what it is. Being part of the church involves so many things, and let's see what it involves. First of all, it involves a real belief. 1 John 5, 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life? Have you received Christ as your personal Savior? Are you born again? Has God filled you with His Spirit? If, if He hasn't, you're not part of His church no matter how many times you attend church. I say this all the time. Just because you come to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, right? We know that. Duh. It's, that, it's not by association. Just because I'm doing something that looks Christian makes me a Christian. It's all about real belief. Do you believe this? And that's what happened to the day of Pentecost. These people said, we believe this. We get it. We're cut to the heart. And then involves the action after that. And so it involves real belief. The second thing, it, revol- it, it, it involves repentance. And if I've repented from my way of thinking and I've turned to Christ, there should be fruit coming forth from my life. A conviction about things that I used to do and a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Have I truly repented from my way of thinking? Is my life reflective of the values that Christ would want me to want in my life? Because true repentance, then there's a turning from something I used to do that's wrong, and it's a 180-degree turn to Christ and wanting to please Him. That doesn't mean we're always perfect. That doesn't mean we fall into temptation. But when we do, we understand that we need to repent and ask for forgiveness. That doesn't mean we stay in that lifestyle. Because if I'm not convicted about that lifestyle, then there's something wrong with my belief in Christ. Does that make sense? So it first starts with belief and believing on Christ, then it starts with this repentance saying, okay, now I've got to be like Christ. Something's got to be real in my life. There should be fruit coming forth in my life of evidence of the choice that I've made to follow Christ. Capiche? Okay. So that's another check. Do I have a real belief? Have I repented? The third thing here is, am I learning? If, if, I've, if I'm following Christ and I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior, and I've repented of my sins, then there should be a learning. There should be a hunger to grow, a hunger for the word of God. There should be a hunger now to want to be part of some small groups. And let me say, we've got enough small groups in our church to shake a stick at. So you can get involved in Sunday school, men's groups, ladies' groups. We've got Acts groups. We've got uh, go to the Narthex table, get involved in a small group. I would recommend starting off with Sunday school. We offer like five Sunday school classes every quarter. Get involved in a small groups so you can learn. Are you reading the Word on your own? We've got great little devotional books called God's Words for Today. You can pick those up at the, at the Narthex table. Devotional books to help you read God's Word. If, if I have a real belief in Christ and if I've repented, then I'm going to want to learn. There should be a desire in my heart to want to learn more about Christ and his word. If I don't have a hunger to grow and learn, then there's something wrong there. So check that out. I'm doing that. Here's the fourth one. Fourth one involves mission. The fourth one involves mission. 
if, if, if I have a belief, if I repent, if I'm learning, then there should be a mission. I want others to find forgiveness like I have found. And so if Christ is truly living in my heart, then I care about others finding salvation too. Do you have a desire to invite people to church or to share people what Christ has done in your heart? You should. That involves mission. Is your life missional? Does your life revolve around the message that Christ has given you? Or does Christ revolve around your life and how much you want to invite him in or not invite him in? Something's wrong with that. Because if Christ has consumed my life, then my life should be now consumed with serving Christ. Amen. Thank you. One person. Okay. So that, listen, it, and I know this is a process. This doesn't happen overnight. We don't just wake up and, you know, it's not like putting your Bible under your pillow at night and saying, okay, Lord, by osmosis, just take all your word and put it in my brain so I can be the scholar the next day. No, it's a process. I understand that. We're all at different levels spiritually, but are you growing? Do you have a heart's desire to please the Lord? So we offer all different levels of classes just for you to help you grow. And the, and the first, for you, those of you that just want to grow and you say, okay, pastor, I get this. I, I've accepted Christ. I've repented. I may not be there you know, reading the word every day, but I want to grow. Perfect place to start for you is our membership class because we show you what it means to be a disciple, how, how you can grow in your walk with the Lord. That's a great, even though you may not want to join the church, man, the classes that we offer on Sunday mornings for uh, new membership classes are excellent to get you started on the right way. Amen? So these are just ways. Am I growing? Am I learning? Am I, is my life mi missional? And then lastly here, it involves community. And the community here is, do I have a desire to be with other believers in Christ? You know, when someone says to me, well, you know, pastor, I just like to be at home by myself. You know, I can worship Jesus by myself. I can go to the beach and just worship his wonderful creation. You know what? Yeah, you can, but you're not biblical. The Hebrew writer says, don't forsake the meeting of the brethren, the meeting together. Do I want to be in community with other believers? You should be. If you're a follower of Christ, then you should want, and believe me, we're going to irritate each other at times. We're not going to get along all the time, but who does, right? Amen. Praise God. We're all growing, but this is the way we grow. But we should want to be in community with one another. We should want to hang out with other believers so that we grow in our walk with the Lord. So just use this as inventory in your life, a checklist. Am I doing these things? Are these things that I need to grow in? Don't beat yourself up over it if you feel like, man, I, I don't know, Pastor, I haven't read the word in a week. I'm not a Christian. Oh my God, what's wrong? I'm not saying, don't kill you. I'm saying, use this as a way to say, you know what? Am I improving in these areas? Am I growing in these areas? It's very important to know that because this is what it means to be part of the body of Christ. And sometimes it's good to take inventory over our life to make sure we're headed in the right direction. Amen? Amen? That's why we come together. That's why we sit in the Word. That's why I have about eight other pastors I listen to on my, on my iPad, on my iPod when I jog because I like to listen to what other guys have to say. I need God's Word uh, taught and, and preached to me also. So I sit under other uh, pastors that I really respect their teaching because I need to hear that too. I go to Sunday school. Love Sunday school. I sit there. I love sitting in Sunday schools. I go to Sunday school. I like being taught. I need to continue. I read all the time. I need to grow too. Amen? 
So it's a process. It's all a process. And are we, are we enveloping ourselves in that process so that we can be the people that God has called us to be? The church is an awesome place. Be part of it. God wants to use your gifts and your talents to help grow his body, to be all that it can be. Amen? Amen. So let me pray for you. And then what we're going to do is, let me just pray for you. There may be a couple of you here today that you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let me encourage you to do that. We're going to pray for you. And you say, well, where do I get started, Pastor? Well, all the Bibles and the, and the seats are free. You can take those. We have a book called What Now on how to start your process in the Lord. And you may say, well, Pastor, how do I pray and how do I read my word? How do I read the word of God? Where do I need to get started? There's a free booklet that we have for you out in the north. It's called What Now? Pick that up. Ask Penny for it. She'll give it to you. If you need a Bible, if you need a devotional book, all free, free, free. We want to give it to you to help you grow in your personal walk with the Lord. If you're not involved in a small group or Sunday school class, check out the Narthex table. There's many groups, all different types of groups that you can get involved with because we want you to grow as part of the body of Christ. Amen? So let's pray. Lord, we, we just give you our hearts today. And Lord, I know all of us, we've, we've, Lord, we, we've done things that, Lord, are un, unbecoming of you. We've done things our own way. But Lord, we thank you for your grace today. And Lord, I pray for every person here today that, God, they would fall in your grace and your mercy. That, Lord, for any individual here today that's not yet come to you as their Lord and Savior, that they would do that today. That they would start this process of discipleship, of growing in you. That, Lord, this checklist is not to condemn us or to make us feel guilty, but hopefully it's to spur us on to be missional people that are going to live and revolve our lives not around Jesus around my life but my life around Jesus. We want to be missional, Lord. We want to be we want to be all that you've called us to be, Lord. And I pray that you would just give us that hunger and that desire. For those that just need to start anew and afresh today, maybe their life's got a little crusty. Maybe their life in the Lord's gotten a little old. Maybe it's uh, maybe they're hunger for you is a little apathetic today, I pray, Lord, that you would fill them anew and afresh with your Holy Spirit. That, God, their desire would be to just to, just to please you and that you'd give them a new hunger and a new desire to want to know you and to know what you're doing in this world, Lord. So I pray that they would just get on board with that. So give them a new hunger through your Holy Spirit, God, as they reach out to you. And we thank you for your grace and your forgiveness, Lord, for bringing us back every single time. Thank you, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you, Lord. And I just pray this over every individual in this place now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I want you to stand, and I love this song. This, this song is about the church and what we are to be. And, uh, and so let's sing it. It's kind of a celebration song, but let's just celebrate God's goodness and his love. Let's just give the Lord praise for his word today. Amen. Men of faith rise up and sing Of the great and glorious King You are strong when you feel weak In your brokenness
Rise up church with broken wings Fill this place with songs again Of our God who reigns on high By His grace again we'll for your word today, God. I pray that we would just be the church that, that God, you desire us to be. I pray you touch every heart here. As, Lord, you bring healing to our lives as you restore our lives. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you're still working on us and in us, Lord, that you never give up on us, that nothing can separate us from your love, Lord, that nothing can separate us from your love. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged as we leave this place today. That, Lord, even though we mess up at times, we thank you that there's a Savior that always will take us back. He'll wrap his arms around us, and we can find his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. So, God, humble us today just to receive your grace and mercy, Lord, to keep moving forward in you, that you can be the Savior in our lives that you desire to be. So I thank you for this word, Lord. I just pray a blessing over every individual, over every marriage, God. Lord, every, over every family, Lord, over every teenager, God, that they would just fall in love with you over again, Jesus. So we thank you for this time. We give you the glory, Jesus. Amen. 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 God is good. Amen. Listen, if any of you need prayer today for anything that you're going through today, we'll, uh, we'll be up here to pray with you. But otherwise, go in God's grace. Have a wonderful day. Amen. God bless you. Your side.